Mark chapter 9, if you would turn there in your Bibles, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. On Wednesday nights, we're going through the Old Testament book of Malachi, the prophet Malachi. And I'll tell you, it's been so uh, pertinent for our times. There's so much life application in that. And so we have another two weeks in Malachi, and then we're going to be doing a series of true discipleship. So what does a disciple of Jesus really look like? And Nate and I, on Wednesday nights, we um, kind of switch off back and forth as far as the teaching, and we, um, Nate and I never get together. We never, as far as talking about, well, I'm going to teach this, you teach that. We're just open to the leading of the Holy Spirit, so perhaps we'll have some teachings that will overlap but I think it's a really important uh, topic. In fact, um, I'm hoping that it will spur some of you to come out on Wednesday nights, those that aren't usually coming out on Wednesday nights. In fact, I think I'll call it even right now that for that study, I think we're going to move upstairs so that we have plenty of seating, which will mean we won't have coffee or anything downstairs set up. But I think we'll just go ahead and move up. If it's a low attendance or lower attendance, we'll just move right back down to the cafe. But we're going to do that. So, is that door shut? Oh, did we shut that door? <laughs> Thank you. I thought, boy, they're louder than usual. <laughs> Would you stand with me for just a moment? I'm going to read just a, a few verses here of our text today. Beginning in verse 30. It says, then they, that would be the disciples in Jesus, then they departed from there and passed through Galilee, and he, that's Jesus, did not want anyone to know it, for he taught his disciples and said to them, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and after he is killed, he will rise the third day. And we're told in verse 32, but they, the disciples, did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. Father, we pray, as we always pray, that you would give us understanding. It's your word. If we're believers, we have your spirit. We lack nothing except, I guess, the time and the uh, self-will to study your scriptures, to listen to your scriptures, to Apply your scriptures to our lives, Lord. But we pray, Father, that you would teach us from this and the text that follows today. And we trust that you'll do that. Father, we also want to lift up at this time our brother and sister, Ernie and Teresa. And we pray for your peace to rest upon them as they're dealing with heavy issues concerning their daughter, Marissa. Father, you know what's going on. You know what needs to happen. Our prayer is for Marissa's healing, Lord. We pray to you because you could do what no one else could do. And so you're the one we look to. So we ask these things in Jesus' name, and we pray this in faith. Amen. You may be seated. To remember the setting, last week we saw Jesus and his disciples. Well, actually, what we saw was Jesus and three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration. They come down to the uh, disciples that were not invited up to this uh, glorious experience on the, on the Mount there. 
And they were frazzled. They were beside themselves because a father had brought his son, and we're, we conclude from the text that the son was not a, a child because his condition had been that way since he was a child. But it was his son. He brought his son to Jesus, but Jesus wasn't there. The problem was is that the son was demon-possessed, and uh, he was deaf and mute, so unable to speak and hear. And the demon would seize upon him from time to time, sometimes throwing him into the water if he was near water, or into the fire if he was near a fire. And it was just a horrible situation. And so the fellow said, well, you know, Jesus isn't here, but he said to his disciples, those that remained, he said, uh, why don't you cast him out? And of course, we saw earlier on in Mark's gospel that Jesus had already given the disciples the authority to cast out demons, but in this particular case, they were unable to do so. And so we looked at that last week. So that's where they left. They left that scene, and they're now making their way through Galilee. And as students of the Bible, you know that Galilee was, was the hub of Jesus' ministry. I mean, that's where he spent a lot of his time, and a lot of his ministry was, uh, took place there in the Galilee. And so it says that uh, he did not want anyone to know it. Because if the people knew it, of course, there would be multitudes of people. And he wanted to teach his disciples something. Now, this is very, very important. It's not just an introduction. It's very important for us. Jesus did not teach the multitude that the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and after he is killed, he will rise the third day. He spoke these things to his disciples. This is a private teaching. This is not like the Sermon on the Mount where the disciples came and others, multitudes, were there. But this was something that was just for the ears of the disciples. And I think that's important for us to understand because if you're a child of God, if you've truly placed your faith in Christ, there is things that the Lord has for you alone. For, for you as a child of God. Now, I don't mean you specifically alone, but for, for us, for those who have placed our faith in Christ. And so Jesus tells them once again, and as, as far as we could tell from the gospel accounts, at least on three separate occasions, Jesus told his disciples that this was going to happen. He told them of his mission, his mission at his first advent, his mission was a mission of suffering, death, and resurrection. That was his mission for the first advent. Of course, we're waiting for the second advent, second coming. The mission for a second advent is completely different as we'll touch on a little bit today. Luke tells us in his account, and I hope that you take advantage of the times where we have the same uh, account recorded in other Gospels to go and to look at what the other Gospel writers wrote. They were led by the same Holy Spirit, but they might highlight something that, that maybe another Gospel writer did not highlight. But Luke tells us that Jesus said this, quote, let these words sink down into your ears. He said to his disciples, it's almost like, listen up. This is really important. It's important that you get this. Don't just listen, you know, nonchalantly, but I want you to let these words sink down into your ears. And then he went on to say, the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. And then it goes on and it says, but they did not understand his saying. 
And of course, we know this to be true. We've, I've mentioned this many, many times. The word understand that's used here, it means this, quote, not to know through the lack of information or intelligence, but, but by implication to ignore through opposition. So was there ignorance? Well, not necessarily because Jesus is telling them. This is now the second time in Mark's account. This is the second time he's telling them. But, but it seems to be more than we, we need more information or we just don't understand what you're saying or what language are you speaking. It was more a ignorance through opposition. I just, we just don't want to hear this. These things are hard to hear. We don't want to, we don't want to hear it. Now, Mark tells us, Luke tells us, that they did not understand these things, but they were afraid to ask. And so we understand why they were afraid to ask, because the last time Jesus spoke about these things, it didn't go well for Peter. Remember, Peter, get behind me, Satan, for you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. And that was after Peter had said to Jesus, rebuked Jesus, and says, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. And so we have Peter rebuking Jesus, we have Jesus rebuking Peter, and this, you know, led the disciples, when they hear these things again, they're afraid to ask. I don't even want to go there, I, I, you know, I might be rebuked by everyone. Guys, there are many who profess to be believers, who profess to be followers of Jesus today, that kind of have, maybe not kind of, maybe they do have the attitude that Peter had. To me, when I read, you know, what Peter's response was to Jesus after Jesus said these things, rather than being a man who just silently ponders what his, his, his master, his rabbi, his teacher, his Lord has just said, he just kind of blurts out. And, and really behind the words, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Kind of behind the words, I imagine things like, I don't want to hear it. Why do, you, why do we have to hear such negative things? Why do we need to know about what's coming? We're not interested about what's coming, especially if it's going to involve suffering and, and death and resurrection. We don't even understand that. It's depressing. It's scary. I don't want to hear it. And I think there are many that fall into that category today in many churches. I think that... Um, the reason I and those like me who teach Bible prophecy, who teach Bible, um, run into opposition is because it's become kind of an abnormal thing. Many of you, I want you to just think for a moment of churches that you attended, maybe the church you attended right before coming here. Did they ever speak about, I mean, in detail, the coming of the Lord, things leading up to the coming of the Lord, the great tribulation? Did they ever speak about the Antichrist? Did they ever speak, did they ever try to connect the dots between what we're experiencing today in the world and what the Bible has to say? I think that in a lot of churches, you know, pastors don't even touch that. I think they don't touch it because, frankly, they don't know how to teach it. 
they haven't, they haven't studied it. There are many pastors, they go to seminary, they come out of seminary, disbelieving what they believed when they entered seminary. It's a horrible, horrible thing that's happening in the seminaries today. I can't think of too many seminaries where you have professors, where you have instructors that are truly born again, filled with the Spirit, believing the whole counsel of the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation and wanting to know it and wanting to teach the full counsel of the Word of God. But what we have in many seminaries today, we have, we have professors, we have, we have, you know, and they produce what? They produce pastors that come out of seminary or Bible colleges, and they think that they have the right to say, well, we don't have to take Genesis chapters 1 through 11 seriously. We surely don't want to take it literally. We know more than, you know, the old, you know, Moses knew when he wrote that book, you know. We know, we have science on our side, you know. And, and you know, to the shame of these pastors and professors, um, you know, that they put science above what God says. Well, science wasn't there. Scientists weren't there. God was there. And so God's saying, this is how it went down. This is what I did. This is how I spoke things into existence. This is what I expect from my creation. But of course, we see that in many churches, many pastors will tell their people, tell people who attend their fellowships, don't even go into the book of Revelation. It's a dangerous book. You'll get lost in there. You will, um, you know, man, it's a scary book. And, and they keep people from reading the very book of the Bible that God says those who read it and keep it will be blessed. So they're, they're, they're afraid to even go into that book. And as far as the book of Daniel or Ezekiel or, you know, Isaiah, oh, forget that. Who knows what's going on there? I have no So you narrow it down to where, for most people, it's the Psalms and it's the Gospels, maybe, some of them. Because people feel comfortable in the Psalms, not knowing that the Psalms are full of Bible prophecy. Absolutely chocked full of Bible prophecy. But they say, well, this is safe. You know, it's, it's kind of like reading songs, and I like that. It's not threatening or anything. It doesn't scare me at all. You know, guys, if you are in Christ... Uh, we need to grow up. We need to look up. We need to be able to discern the days in which we're living. Jesus said, now when these things begin, he's talking about the things pertaining to the, the tribulation leading up to the second coming. Jesus says, now when these things begin to happen, begin to happen, not when they're coming to a close, when they begin to happen, Jesus said, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption is nearer than when you first believed. Look up. Now, Jesus, he wasn't being negative when he talked about his suffering and his death and his resurrection. He wasn't being negative. Jesus was preparing them. Who? His disciples. Why? Because he loved them. We need to get this through our minds. See, guys, if we approach the word of God, and, and we've had many. I mentioned it at the first service. A brother came to me. He said, oh, so-and-so, you know, a person we know, mutually know, used to attend the church, you know. They, they're kind of in between churches now, and, you know, this person has had a problem at Calvary Chapel because when you speak about Bible prophecy or current events, 
They don't want to hear it. It scares them. They just don't want to hear those things. And I invited them to come to church because um, they're in between churches. And I said to the person, I said, oh, don't invite them to come back. And he kind of looked at me. He's puzzled, you know. And I said, because I'm not going to stop teaching Bible prophecy or current events or how they t- tie in together. And so if they come back, they're just going to get offended again or hold their ears and run out screaming because it's, they're going to hear something that's going to make them feel uncomfortable. Because I'm not going to change on this because it's the word of God. Jesus was preparing them for what was coming because he loved them. Jesus, again, he didn't speak to the multitude about these things. He spoke to his disciples. He spoke to those who were his. He told his disciples these things to prepare them for what was coming because he loved them. And the same is true with Bible prophecy. Do you realize that the Lord, he inspired the writers, the prophets of the Old Testament, you know, and the apostles of the New Testament. He inspired these men to write the things, to record the things that they recorded. Uh, You know, these people that, you know, think that we're missing something from them, you know, how little their God is. How little their God is. Oh, the real truth is found in these other books. No, God is the one who inspired the writers to write these books. Were there other books? Yes. Were they inspired? Apparently not. These are the books that we have. These are, this is a revelation that God wants us to have. And we should be a people who realize that God reveals things before they happen so that when they happen, we may know that he is God and our faith may be built in him. You know, Bible prophecy was not written to non-believers. People, whenever I say, and I say it quite often, maybe because I get a weird reaction out of it, but I like to point out the Bible is not written to non-believers. And people always feel like, oh, you're speaking heresy. It's not written to non-believers. It's written to believers. Old Testament's written to believing Israel, or not believing Israel, but it's written to God's covenant people. New Testament is not written to the non-believer. It's written to the believers. These are epistles written to the church, to believers, to be read in the churches so that the believers would be able to know this is what God expects from us. This is what God wants of us. But listen, the believer who believes Bible prophecy can use Bible prophecy to help the non-believer connect the dots of craziness that's happening in our world and to persuade them to place their faith in Christ because what's happening is not something to laugh at. It's horrifying. It's absolutely horrifying. But sadly, there are many people in many churches today who say, I have no interest in Bible prophecy, no interest at all, don't want to even consider it. Did you know that one-third of the Bible is prophecy? One-third of the Bible is prophecy. Do you know that as you're reading through the Psalms, you are reading prophecy that you probably aren't even recognizing, and therefore, you're missing out on a blessing. Because I'll tell the blessing of Scripture, when you're reading the Scripture and you could see it and you say, oh, this was fulfilled, this is that which was spoken. Do you know that from the book of Acts, we know something that the Old Testament does not tell us, and that is that David was a prophet, King David? You say, no, he wasn't. Yes, he was, according to the New Testament. He wrote the Psalms 
prophetically, you think of Psalm 22. David writes Psalm 22 as if he himself was being crucified. They have pierced my hands and my feet. What did David know about crucifixion? Nothing. He was writing prophetically of what his son, do you understand what I mean by that? That's Bible prophecy as well. What his son would experience, Jesus, upon the cross. This is Bible prophecy. Bible prophecy is not meant to scare, scare us, it's meant to prepare us. And Bible prophecy helps us understand what's going on in this crazy world. I know there are some, they hate it when I say these things, but I'm going to say it, I don't care. This is my opinion. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But we are living, we have lived through a period of a planned pandemic, and we are living through a time of planned economic collapse, and we are living through a time of planned uh, gas uh, heights, you know, that are going to cripple people. And we are living through a time of planned famine and planned drought, and it's planned. And you say, how could you say such a thing? How arrogant of you. Because the scripture declares the very things that we're seeing today. And this is why I encourage you, as your brother in Christ, to be aware of what's happening. As, as, as we're, you know, just kind of living our lives and, and happy that, you know, we don't have to wear a mask any longer or something like that. There are elites of the world. I mean, not one nationality. From every country. Elites gathered together in key places of the world. And they are making decisions for the globe. The Bible speaks of a global government. And, and yet we just, oh, yeah, I don't believe that. that. That's conspiracy theory. That's like New World Order. Where, where did we get the term New World, World Order? Can I tell you we did not get it from the Bible? Because the Bible doesn't talk, it doesn't use that phrase. We got it from the politicians. We got it from the, the, the political leaders of our world. They're the ones that are speaking of a New World Order. We're just simply using their term. We're not inventing our own term. There are so many professing followers of Christ who have kind of a hum-ho attitude when it comes to Bible prophecy. And their attitude is kind of like, just give me, just give me Jesus. I don't care about this other stuff. Do you know, you surely know it, you might not understand it, but did you know that in Revelation chapter 10, the last part of that verse, it says, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Let me read it again. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. In other words, the very nature and purpose of po uh, uh, um, prophecy, <laughs> I blank there, of prophecy, the, the very nature and purpose of prophecy is to testify of Jesus and to bring glory to him. Do you, do you understand that? That is, guys, listen, if, if there's a target, if there's a target of Bible prophecy, the target is Christ. Now, there's a lot of other things that are taking place, but the target is always Christ. That's the target. Jesus says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've come to fulfill the law and the prophets. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Jesus wants us to be concerned about these things, to read these things, to study these things, to know these things. You know, what does he say to the seven letters, in the seven letters to the seven churches? He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. 
Why does he repeat that over and over again? Because there are so many, and he knew that there would be so many in the church and say, I don't have an ear to hear. I don't want to hear these things. They bother me. So he says to the ones who do have an ear to hear, Jesus tells us these things because he loves us and he doesn't want the things that are coming to be a shocking surprise to us. And I fear that there are many Christians, many professing Christians who have truly placed their faith in Christ who are going to be terribly surprised when they see the things come, that are coming. Do you remember Nebuchadnezzar? Nebuchadnezzar, this great king. I mean, he, he didn't know it, but he was given his authority and his power from God Almighty. So was he a believer? No, not at all. God controls all things. God lifts up. God takes down. Uh, you know, you look at the world leaders today and you say, why are they there? Why are they in their positions? Because God has raised them up for a specific purpose. But Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, he attacks Jerusalem. He destroys the temple. Three different uh, uh, times he brings back uh, some young men, young people, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, of course, were part of these young men. They were bright. They were good-looking. They were men that they were going to uh, train so that they might serve in his court. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. He has a dream of the statue. And the statue is a strange dream uh, because he sees that it has a head of gold and then it has a chest and arms of silver, and then it has a belly and thighs of, of bronze, and then it has two legs of, of iron, but then it has this other strange thing. It has this iron and clay mixed, though they don't mix. That was the feet, the toes. And he has this dream, and he's troubled by it, and so he calls in all of his wise men, soothsayers and everything, and he says, I had a dream, and it's really bothering me, and I want you to give me the, the interpretation, and remember how they responded? Oh, king, live forever. Yes, tell us the dream, and we'll tell you the interpretation. That's called <laughs> buying time. That's called hoping that you come up with a good interpretation of this strange dream that the old king had. And Nebuchadnezzar said, that's not how it's going down. This is how it's going down. You tell me what I dreamt, and then you give me the interpretation. And they said, who could do such a thing? And the answer is, no one could do such a thing. No one. Well, you know how it goes down, that Daniel, eventually he steps forward. He comes before Nebuchadnezzar. He makes it clear to Nebuchadnezzar, Neb, <laughs> I, 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 can't, I don't know what you dreamt. I, I can't interpret your dreams, but there is a God in heaven. See, this is what a believer does, always drawing attention to the Lord. There's a God in heaven, and he begins to give the interpretation of the dream. And many of you are familiar with it. The gold of head was Nebuchadnezzar. How do we know that? Because Daniel said, the head that you saw of gold, that's you, Nebuchadnezzar. You're the Babylonian empire. You're the head of gold. But after you will come a empire that's inferior to yours, the Medo-Persians. Now, guys, from our perspective, you learned this in school. This is history. This is biblical history, but it's also history. You've learned this. And, of course, after the, the 
the silver, the chest and the arms. You have the bronze belly and thighs, Grecian Empire. We knew what followed the Medo-Persian Empire. And you might be saying, well, wait a minute, Dan. This is where there's a breakdown. There were a lot of other empires. No, there weren't. The empires that concern Israel. Guys, please, if we could just have such a narrow, you know, have an open mind when you say this, but have a narrow mind. The Lord's not talking about the empires of the world. He's talking about the empires that had an impact or a ruling over Israel. That's what he's concerned with. Because he's concerned with his people, Israel, in the book of Daniel. In fact, we see this in Daniel chapter 9. That seven sevens are decreed upon you and your people and your nation, your, you know, all of these things. These things will come to pass, you know. So then you have the iron legs of Rome. So, you know, by the time you get through the book of Daniel, you're, you're at the Grecian Empire. So the Roman Empire is yet future. But, of course, from our perspective, we look back. Roman Empire, yes, we know a lot about the Roman Empire. And then you have this strange combination of iron and clay, feet and toes. And I believe that that's the revived Roman Empire. And I believe that that's what we're seeing being set up right now, present tense. And out of that empire, there'll be 10 leaders who will rule the world for a time. Now, it's interesting. You don't have to turn there. But there's a really interesting verse in Daniel chapter 2. In verse 43, and it says this, As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they, and I'll tell you, there's a lot of Bible commentators, Bible students, that, that wonder what Daniel was being told here. Who's the they? They will mingle with the seed of men. So they are not seed of men? See, some would say the they were obviously the ten rulers. You'd have to read the context of uh, Daniel chapter 2 to see the kings that I'm referring to. But they seem to be speaking of something else. They will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another just as iron does not mix with clay. You say, well, why do you read that? Because you know what? There's things that we, we just don't know. I'll tell you what, in light of what we're seeing today, are you paying attention with what's happening with AI? And I wonder, you know, I'm not surprised that Bible scholars, Bible teachers, commentators would not understand these things. I think that we'll understand these things just as Daniel was told. Daniel, you go your way. But in the end, the people will understand. And I almost wonder, we have now an AI who claims to have a soul. He's self-aware. Have you watched this? Have you heard about this? He, he, he has an advocate, who, a man who used to be a priest, who works for Google, I think. And, um, <laughs> and this AI is communicating now. And now there's this dilemma. What do you do with an AI that claims to have a soul? That seems to communicate on a deeper level than just a computer. Well, anyway. You look at Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and then... Daniel said, Nebuchadnezzar, you saw this statue which represents the Gentile uh, kingdoms, empires, and then you saw a stone that came out and it hit the statue, hit the image on the feet, and it collapsed 
the, these world governments, they collapsed and, and they, they blew away like the chaff of the earth. And he goes on and he describes the stone that is to come that will destroy all human government concerning Israel. And it's Jesus. And his kingdom will be great. So, question. Prophecy, doom and gloom? No, it all points to Jesus. Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. Daniel has a dream. He has a vision. He's concerned about the things he saw. And then he's given the interpretation. I believe wholeheartedly, and I don't know how others could come to a different conclusion when you just simply read the text, but I believe that Daniel 2 and Daniel 7 were speaking of the same thing. Nebuchadnezzar saw it as a marvelous, great statue. That's from man's perspective. That's how man values what man could come up with. But Daniel sees it from God's perspective. He sees beast. You say, well, where do you get that? I get that from the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, when we're introduced to the false prophet and the Antichrist, he's referred to as the beast. I guarantee you that he's not going to go by that. He's not going to say, hello, I'm the beast, you know. He's going to be Mr. Wonderful. He's going to speak pompous words. I mean, we, we know. He's, he's, but this is from God's perspective. God sees him as a beast. But Daniel has this vision. And as he goes through it, and you'll have to read it. I'm not going to go through it all. But he sees the Babylonian Empire. He sees the Medo-Persian Empire. He sees the Grecian Empire. He sees the Roman Empire. And then we're introduced to a key player in the tribulation period, and that is the Antichrist, the little horn that comes up. The little horn comes up, seem, seemingly insignificant, but immediately three fall at his rising. And he speaks pompous words, the scripture tells us. He's a big mouth. He speaks pompous words against the Most High God. And you read through Daniel's interpretation, the dream he had, and, and all of that. And how does it conclude? Well, it concludes with this. His kingdom, not Antichrist, but God's kingdom, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Doom and gloom? No. No, no, no. Christians, we need to think beyond this temporal life <clears throat> that we live in. We have to. We have to think beyond what happens in the future. See, our future is eternal. It has no end. And But we need to think about it. What is, what is our immediate future? I believe our immediate future is the rapture of the church because we're not subject to the wrath of God. Daniel was told, Nebuchadnezzar was told in his dream, Daniel sees the same type of thing, where the saints are given over to the Antichrist for a time. How long? Three and a half years. That should grab your attention if you've read the book of Revelation. Because in the book of Revelation, the Lord keeps repeating over and over again. It's like the Lord is saying, for those who have ears to hear, seven decrees have been issued for Israel. Sixty-nine of them have been fulfilled. When Messiah was cut off, crucifixion, that's what it means, the time clock, the prophetic time clock, stopped. There is still a seven-year period of time that needs to be fulfilled. Book of Revelation tells us this is that seven-year tribulation period that's missing. And it goes and it tells us that it's broken up into 
two halves. The first half, second half. Second half, great tribulation. Second half, we know it's the second half when they see the abomination that causes desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel. Do you guys follow this? See, people will say, that was Antichrist Epiphanes. No, it wasn't. How do you know? Because Jesus said, after Antipas Epiphanes, said, when you see the abomination that causes desolation. See, it doesn't make sense if we're not interpreting it correctly. But you say, people will read the book of Daniel. Well, the saints will be given into his hand for three and a half years. That's us. No, it's not us. Daniel was speaking to his people. Daniel wasn't a Christian. Daniel was a Hebrew. He was speaking of his people, Israel, not the church. So you say rapture, the next thing on the prophetic calendar? Yes, I believe so. I live every day expecting Jesus to come back. I can't wait till he comes back. It's not because my life is so miserable. I have a very blessed life. But it's because as his child, I want to be in his presence. I want to be with my Lord. Because when I'm with my Lord, I will never, ever not be with my Lord. That's what the scriptures teach. So I and you, if you've placed your faith in Christ, are going to be going to that place that he prepared for us, that where he is, we may be also. Then when he returns, second coming, we will be with him. Uh, coming in the majesty of the Lord. Then when Jesus judges and deals with Satan and binds him for a thousand years and sets up his kingdom upon the earth for a thousand years, we will be with him. What will you be doing? What will we be doing? See, this is why I say quite often, you'll hear others that believe and teach Bible prophecy, we say quite often, how we live our lives today count for eternity. It counts for millennium. It counts for what we will do, what part we will play in the millennium. And I think so often we just cannot get ourselves to think that. Now, I'm not saying that I, you know, I can't imagine what it's going to be like. I really can't. But I believe it's going to happen. And I believe that we are going to play a role, a God-ordained role. Doom and gloom, no. It's glorious. Bible prophecy you know, when you hear guys like me, people like me, and, you know, we, we hear about something, we're kind of trying to put the pieces together, and maybe this is that which was spoken, and maybe this is going to fit in here, and we look at that. And, and some people who aren't really biblically minded or Bible prophecy minded, they look at this and say, what's wrong with you? It's like you're, you know, it's like you're happy about the bad things that are happening. I'm not happy about the bad things that are happening. But I know the target. The target is Jesus. The target is we're going to be with Jesus. The target is Israel will be saved. How? By coming to Jesus. He's the target. All scripture speaks of Christ. So it's exciting. And then we live in the same world that everyone else lives in. You know, we don't have Christian gas stations that are down around, you know, three bucks a gallon. We go to the same. We, we, we live in the same world. You know, you go in, you go grocery shopping, and, and you're wondering, just, oh, man, I, I'm coming out with fewer bags and, and less money uh, than I did a year ago. And, and it's a troubling thing. But it's the same world. But do we lose heart? And say, I can't love. I'm off to Deception Bass Bridge. No. We don't see things that way. 
We say, oh, Lord, help me to be a productive uh, disciple. Help me to be able to give hope to people that are wondering what in the world is going on. Please use me, Lord. Do you pray that? Please use me, Lord, to share the gospel with people. We don't have to know every detail. In fact, I cannot, you know, there was a time when, you know, I used to be able to do a Bible prophecy once a year. And you can kind of work on it for like a year and come up with enough information of what had taken place in that year to speak for 45 minutes. You can't even do that in a day now. There was so much information. It is just coming at us so quickly. And this is why I encourage you guys to listen to Bible prophecy teachers. I'm talking about good ones. Not the guys like with the rock, you know, the hair. I don't know who that guy is. I'm not talking about these guys that claim to be prophets. I'm talking about guys who are teaching Bible prophecy. They're not prophesying. They're teaching Bible prophecy. And it's good because as you're listening, you're watching, there's hope. There's always hope. Jesus is coming back. If you're not ready, you need to get ready. If you're listening to this program right now and you haven't placed your faith in Christ, please repent of your sins, turn to Christ, because what's coming is going to be... It's, it's what we're supposed to do. It's what we've always been supposed to do. But now everything is heightened. Look at verse 33. Then he, Jesus, came to Capernaum, And when he was in the house, he asked them, what was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? But they kept silent, for on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. And he sat down, called the twelve. Again, this is for them. Guys, this isn't for the multitude. This is for them. This This is one of those family meetings. Please listen. I have something to say to you. This is serious. Now keep in mind that he knows Judas. He knows his betrayer is with them the whole time, all of them. You talk about God's grace. You talk about God's grace. Man. It says in verse 35, and he sat down, called uh, the 12, and said to them, if anyone desires to be first, oh, obviously he knew what they were disputing, Uh, He shall be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, isn't that a beautiful picture? He's holding this little guy, this little child, boy or girl, we don't know. And he said to them, whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Keep the context. What's the context? The context is the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise the third day. That's the context. I want you to think about it. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing to consider that this was the context. The context, Jesus just told them again, that he was going to be killed. But verse 32 tells us they did not understand. And because they did not understand, they just moved on to the next thing. And the next thing of importance to them was personal promotion. And I suggest to you, not as someone over you, but as a human being, 
that if we are not focused on Jesus, we will be focused on self. Self will be on the throne, guaranteed. They were not thinking about Jesus. They were not thinking about his words. They were not thinking about his death. They were not thinking about his resurrection. They were thinking about themselves. They were debating among themselves who is going to be the greatest among them. It's embarrassing. You almost want to look away out of embarrassment for them. I mean, I can't even imagine having a conversation like that. I think I'm better than you. I think Jesus loves me more than you. I mean, it's just so strange to me he asked the question what was it that you disputed among yourselves on the road and it was so embarrassing that verse 34 tells us they kept silent but he didn't have to hear from them because he knew because jesus knows what's in our heart guys that's another thing we need to remind ourselves jesus sees what's in secret jesus knows what's in our heart this is why guys we don't live by a law. We don't live by like the Ten Commandments. We don't oh, just write that as long as everything falls. Under. No, we live by the not the letter of the law, but the Spirit. We live by the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Where the you know, there's not a law that says you know don't think badly about your brother, but the Spirit of God says don't think badly about your brother. Don't have that attitude toward you know your. The Spirit of God does that. It's deeper. It's so much deeper than just a, a, a written law. Jesus says, if anyone desires to be first, note that word desires, to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. You say, last, what, is that, what does that speak of? This is what it speaks of, a deliberate, voluntary choice says you want to be great you need to deliberately voluntarily be a servant the world recognizes greatness by how many people are under you how many people are serving